0: The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk summer.
1: Hello and welcome to House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Natasha Feroz and I'm joined by Katie Balls and Paul Goodman from Conservative Home. Katie, we're going to talk about Conservative candidate selection. Um, what's been happening? So it's slowly getting underway. There's lots more
2: seats uh, for which the candidates need to be selected. I think Labour very much have a head start on it. But this week, for example, we had Nick Timothy selected for West Suffolk, which is Matt Hancock's former seat. And I think that that was interesting because he's probably one of only a handful of when I say I'm not going to say household names, but I will say coffee house shots names in the sense that listeners of this podcast may have heard of them before. Um, Nick Timothy, of course, was one of the co-chiefs of staff under Theresa May. He is viewed as being responsible for what became known as the dementia tax. Um, So I think there was a brief period uh, where it was associated with some toxicity, but has since been seen as um, a key figure in terms of the conservative debate. Um, and worked in the Home Office for a long time, um, and obviously closely linked to Theresa May, has gone for a seat previously, first time, clearly, um, has been successful. And I think if you probably combine Nick Timothy, I would say uh, you then have Rupert Harrison, who's probably the second, probably other... Coffee house shop's name my new thing don't know if it works which is and he is a former advisor to George Osborne whereas so far in the selection so those are two um probably Westminster figures you could say but the bulk have been uh, local candidates quite a few male councillors not many women getting through at the moment um but I think that the biggest theme is actually localism and therefore I think in Rupert Harris and in Nick Timothy you have an Osborneite Obviously they're allowed their own views separate to the people they used to work for. And Nick Timothy, I think, who's uh sometimes Seen is arguing for like red Toryism. Um but so a so lots of people are saying, Oh, is this gonna be what the leadership looks like in XX many years? Well, first of all of course they have to win their seats, even though both look quite doable. You never quite know, particularly with the polls as they are. Um there's lots of uh, you know, things that can go wrong between now and then. Um, but one of the things I find quite interesting is that it does seem particularly this year, and I don't know what Paul thinks, that local candidates are by far the ones who are, who are uh, getting in most. And this is these are more the exceptions. So some of them had local links, actually, in, in this.
1: Paul, do you think that when we have these Tory candidate selections, you really notice the tension between Conservative Party HQ and the local associations?
0: I think that... Um, Katie's analysis is spot on. can I supplement it with some figures Please. from the Con Home Archives, as I've been going back this morning looking at the recent selections in seats the Conservatives ought to win. Uh, you know you might argue with the ones I've categorised, but it's a pretty fair selection of the last twelve. Uh, of those, eight of them uh, have chosen local councillors. only two have chosen women, and two others of the 12, are basically kind of local sons. Mm -hmm. So there's a very clear trend, uh, as Katie said, to local candidates. This has been going on for some time. Uh, In 2019, um, uh, one in three of the... um, Uh, new uh, Conservative candidates had been local councillors or mayors in 2017 one in three in 2015, three in five so there's something very big going on here and I would divide it into two things and first of all uh, there's been a clear trend over a very long time for MPs to be local champions rather than kind of distant representatives of capital or Labour in Westminster so in the words of the classic Liberal Democrat cliche this person will be your representative in Westminster not Westminster's representative here. Next uh, there's something quite big going on in the Conservative Party which is the members are feeling quite battered. Um, Last summer they voted for Liz Truss that didn't work out which is painful for them they're really not quite sure what they think about the defenestration of Boris Johnson Uh, Brexit doesn't seem to be working out in the way that they'd hoped so they're feeling pretty grassy what do you do in these circumstances safety first you go for the person you know um, and the person you trust rather than some outsider for Westminster so this development really is quite spectacular and just leaves me wondering just to sort of finish off I'm asking where the Conservatives are going to get the middle-ranking ministers from. I mean, each intake produces a few, in quotes, stars. you Rupert, Harrison's, your Nick, It provides some local councillors, some of whom may be ministers. But I'm asking myself, where are these kind of business figures uh, or figures who've not had an experience in local government? Like, uh, I hope I've got this right, say, Kevin Hollingrake in the present government, Um, or, you know, there are a whole sort of massive other solid middle-ranking ministers who've not been councillors and not stars. I'm asking where they're going to come from in the Conservative Party of the future.
1: Katie, I know you wrote in your Times column um, over the weekend about some of the new younger intake that are coming in and and how things might Westminster might change for them. Do you think that all the associations need to bear in mind that there's going to be a new age demographic coming in? So, you have young Keir for Selby, Labour's by election win, historic win. Um,
2: he is the new baby of the House at age 25. Um, therefore, um, Nadia Whittave has to move aside. She is a grand old age of 26. Um, so, she can no longer have that title. Um, but actually, the point I was trying to make was I don't think you are going to get this hugely young intake probably by the time of the next Parliament. Um, speaking to figures in Labour, I think of the Labour candidates they have selected so far, under five percent at under 30 um now that suggests now we'll see what happens on the Tory side perhaps if you are going from for the local councillor former councillors you'll get some youth in that sense um but for now I think if you are a 20 something MP you're still going it quite alone and, and there are reasons for that I think a scattering of youth in the Commons can be a good thing perhaps even in the Lords though I think it depends on who um, it, for various reasons um I think if you think about some of the intergenerational fairness issues such as you know why do we still have the triple lock you do think if you had a younger MPs some of these issues might be seen from more perspectives but it is a really not to be too small violin it's obviously a very overwhelming job and I think the younger you are you it's more the chance you have to be the exception to the rule in terms of how you cope with that and how you prosper in that circumstances though of course there are some um good examples of babies of the house who have gone on to great things uh, and Charles Kennedy and um, David Lammy was once a baby of the house he also got Pitt the younger uh, if we want to go back a bit further um, obviously made it to number 10 um, but but I think um, therefore actually this idea we're going to get uh, the idea of going for a Gen Z intake at the next election seems a bit wide of the mark but I think we are heading to a big level of churn if Labour win a majority Half of the Labour Parliamentary Party will be new MPs. I think it is that kind of end of an era point where, particularly on the Tory side, if you think about the numbers stepping down, um, I think both the parties have the potential to look very different. And Labour, in some ways, are actually more tightly controlling their candidate selection. I don't know if more now I think about it is right in the sense the Tories have always uh, controlled it more tightly than Labour historically, but you do have the centre really going through and making sure that there's no one on the list that so they don't like even going there the Tories seem a bit more relaxed and therefore with the power their associations have and I've spoken to some figures and obviously they're on a certain side of this um, he was saying you know the association should get less of a say the westminster candidates are not going to get through this time um but you can't really see the system changing this side of the election so if you say and this, the phrase we used in the spectator a few months ago is the stormtroopers for Kishida's new centrist army say you have the stormtroopers on one side which are labor candidates picked because they are fairly centrist some of them are you know in the, you know some of them have been involved in labor for a long time but actually a lot have had quite um interesting careers so probably more to Paul's point you can see them being the junior ministers in a labor government um are coming in, in in that sense and then on the Tory side are we heading to an army of local councillors in which case what does that mean for issues such as planning obviously broad brush I think the party will look quite different what do you think paul um local council, the majority parliamentary party looks like?
0: Well, I think this is a question about providing, just a question I, I don't really know, the hundred or so people you need to staff a, a front bench in, in government or in, in, in opposition. Um, I think if you look at Parliament over a, over a long period of time, the old photographs show a greyer Parliament, and actually, for myself, I've, I'm kind of nothing against having some really young MPs because Parliament is meant to be a representative gathering. If it's a representative gathering, it's got to have some young people in it. Uh, my question about the way Parliament's gone is a slightly different one. It's about the turnover. So I'll you know, give you an example for um, you know, someone I like who is putting himself politically about a bit, Sajid Javid. Uh, he's sort of interesting things to say about the health service, AI... All sorts of stuff that he could not have said so easily were he not leaving Parliament, because um, he's going. He's got a licence to say whatever he likes, because he's not going to um, be uh, up against difficult electors, even in a fairly safe Tory seat like Bronze Grove. And I think that's a pity. I think when you lose people because your throughput is is very fast, you're losing the person who can get up in Parliament and say, "Hang on a sec." I've listened to the minister and we tried that and it didn't work but it might have worked if we done A, B and C. If your former ministers aren't there you don't have people who say that so you've got to carry on inventing the wheel and making mistakes that could perhaps be avoided.
1: And lastly Katie Rishi Sunak has approved all the licenses for oil and gas drilling and um, we spoke on Saturday a lot about the green agenda. Is this part of the plan? I think what's interesting is the fallout from the Uxbridge by-election, where, of course, the
2: Tories narrowly held on, which led to some soul-searching both for Labour and the Tories. Initially for Labour, I think the Tories were practically laughing when the first weekend after two pretty bad by-election losses, um, the main stories were... Keir Starmer turning on Sadiq Khan and vice versa. Unfortunately for the Tories, about two days later, (laughs) the knock-on effect was that the Tories started to have have a fight about it. Um, And you had Rishi Sunak in interviews not being able to give a clear answer when asked about the 2030 car ban. He has now given a clear answer saying that will stay. But it meant there was um, a sense of indecisiveness, all things moving, hanging over it. And now you had on Monday, Rishi Sunak in Aberdeenshire, um, ultimately for a carbon capture announcement um, for a project there that would be receiving government investment, but also confirming 100 new oil and gas licences. Um, and this is now being seen as, oh, he's going, you know, he's ditching more of the agenda, look at him go. Um, I think it was always the case that oil and gas licences, that was a plan pre-Uxbridge. So there is a difference here between uh, where Rishi wants to go on green energy, whereby... Um, When you think about the autumn, again, something before those by-elections, in in number 10, at least, is seen as separate to ultra-low emission zones as a topic, um, is they think there is a dividing line with Labour when it comes to oil and gas, the fact that Keir Starmer has suggested they would not grant new licences, that caused unhappiness with Scottish Labour, um, also the GMB union. And therefore, they think there's an argument to make in terms of energy security that you do need to keep some, you know, have some new oil and gas licences and so forth, so we're not uh, importing from other countries, and and that's, that's the case they want to make while at the same time keeping the net zero targets. The problem for Rishi Sunak is because of uh, the ver- the speculation over the past week is now being seen by quite sensible people as an active decision they made after the Uxbridge by-election, which means obviously some people will like the idea he's junking this stuff, but others, I think, probably, you know, if you think about some of these middle voters or even middle MPs, um, look at it and and take a more negative uh, view of it than perhaps they would have done with the right uh, arguments before it.
1: Paul, do you agree?
0: Yes, I think um, there's a strangeness um, about what's happening to Rishi Sunak, and all this green stuff after the Uxbridge by-election, I can start with something that seems very different. Uh, In 1998, um, Tony Blair intervened publicly in the case of a Coronation Street character who'd been jailed. And this was the classic example of um, Downing Street appearing to chase the news, wanting to get in on the news. It looks at first sight as though this is what Rishi Sunak has done after Uxbridge. We have Rishi Sunak saying to motorists, I'm on your side. He dashes up to Aberdeen in pursuit of more oil and gas licences. There's suddenly sort of question mark, apparently, about his commitment to net zero. And this looks, if you're not following politics closely, frankly, could look a bit opportunistic, as though he simply wants to get in on the news. Actually, as Katie said, he's been ploughing this far for some time. Um, Rishi Sunak, won does see the chance of a dividing line with Labour here. But two, he is, you know, I think, genuinely worried about energy security. Rightly or wrongly, he thinks we need a bit more British oil and gas to be able to supply it. So all this has been in motion for some time. And I, I don't think he's really getting the credit for it. And that um, comes back to a kind of leitmotif of us over at Conservative Home, which is because he's not putting everything that he does in some context of some wider story everything is in danger of looking like a reaction to events so the Conservative Party conference in October is going to be perhaps his last chance to really get out in front of voters uh, and tell them what he thinks the challenges facing Britain are broadly and what broadly he's going to do about them in the same way that Tony Blair or Margaret Thatcher did.
1: Thank you Katie, thank you Paul and thanks for listening.